Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by BetterHelp. Whether you're looking to level up your mental wellness or simply trying to survive 2020, we're all in need of a little therapy right now. And that's why Team Unseen recommends BetterHelp. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can message your counselor anytime, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and never sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. And as a special offer for Unseen listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Unseen. That's BetterHelp.com Unseen. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com. Long Story Short Productions presents... Unseen. Episode 2. Into the Dark by Sarah Shackett. Good morning. First things first, welcome. Welcome to the Aletheia Academy. I should say that you should all be very proud of yourselves for being here. That only a very small handful of people ever sit where you're sitting right now, that the admission requirements are exacting, this institution is one of a kind, and so on and so on. But I don't think you need me for that. (laughs) My name is Anthony Grierson, and this is Fundamental Principles of Theurgical Sciences in the Call. It is, I am very happy to say, the single mandatory class the Academy requires you to take which means that I don't have to bother coming up with a sexy title to try and lure you in. We can just get down to the business of, you know, learning. But wait, you're thinking, what is this class? What are we even doing here? I have questions. Of course you do. So let's get you some answers to those questions. In order of importance, 
Yes, 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 no, yes, no, no, possibly yes, no, pass, fail, no, only if you're really convincing, yes, yes, and never. <laughs> See, I'm fun. We can have a good time. Now, to address the next matter on your mind, I'm sure by now you've heard stories about this class and about the strange, scary man that teaches it. Oh, yes. I know everything they say about me, that I'm very odd, a little mad, and that I might turn you into a tadpole if you ever make me angry. <laughs> well, let me assure you, it's all true. Every story, every anecdote, every syllable they say about me is true and much, much worse. And what I want to impress upon you as we begin our journey together, is this. No one cares. No one cares. In a few short years, all of you are going to be magicians. You'll be masters of persuasion or, or wonder-working or whatever the hell Lanvere calls that thing she teaches nowadays. <laughs> you are going to have the power to bend the universe to your will. But first, you're mine. And I will expect you to take this as seriously as I do. Which, I know, is a lot to ask from a troop of wide-eyed freshmen. But when you take your powers out into the unseen world, a lot will be asked of you. So consider this a preview of things to come. No one will ever be late to this class. No one will ever speak out of turn in this class. No one will ever, ever miss an assignment. If you do any of those things, you will no longer be part of this class, which means you will no longer be a student at this academy. You can figure out how to bypass the laws of thermodynamics on your own. No disrespect to the self-taught, of course. But, honestly, you are all ridiculously lucky to be here at a school for the magical arts. So you are not just going to be proud, you are going to be grateful. Aside from colorful anecdotes about yours truly, the other thing you have heard about fundamental principles of theurgical sciences in the call is that, well, it's an unusual class. Most professors lecture in a fairly linear fashion. They start at point A and move steadily towards point B, which is, one assumes, a more enlightened place. And then there's that madman Grierson. He starts at point A, begins an anecdote about getting to point B, gets distracted with some questions about point C, starts an entirely unrelated story about point 13, and then wraps it all up by saying how point A was actually the right place to be all along. Once again, all absolutely true. Ladies and gentlemen, if that doesn't sound like a good way to teach, let me remind you, no one cares. The powers on high have entrusted me with shepherding you through the survey class. If you don't like how I do business, it's tough. Your job is to keep your mouth shut and never let me catch you asleep in class. If you can do that much, we'll get along splendidly. Those of you who can do your thinking in a slightly less linear fashion, well, your job is more or less the same, but pay attention and you might hear something useful every now and then. 
Now, first order of business, before you can do magic, you need to understand why it's so goddamn hard for so many people to even notice it exists. So, let's dive right in and tackle the big questions. <clears throat> what is the call? Where did it come from? Why does it exist? I don't know. I don't know. Any questions? No, no, put your hand down. That was rhetorical. Only I ask questions in this class. Lesson the first, children. There is a difference between a right answer and a correct answer. When it comes to the question of what is the call, the right answer is that it's an unexplained phenomenon which makes it very, very hard for human beings to perceive magic. It only affects humans. So, to those of you here who aren't human, I apologize for the deficiencies of my species. And although the very nature of the phenomenon makes it hard to study or document, it's believed to have come into existence roughly 800 years ago. That is the right answer. However, the correct answer to the question, what is the call, is, I don't know, <laughs> the most important thing I have to teach you is that there is something to not knowing. And as I hope you will discover during our time together, there is a correct way of not knowing. Today, though, baby steps. This is supposed to be, after all, a class about the fundamentals of magic. Well, here's lesson the second, my dear impressionable minds. There are no fundamentals of magic. There's just you. And I suppose me. I'm going to try to explain what that means. And if I do my job at the end of today's lecture... I'll ask you a question, and you will already know the correct answer. Won't that be fun for all of us? Let's begin with an analogy, because I found those can be helpful when talking about things that are very big and very strange. Put your thinking caps on and try to picture something for me. I want you to imagine a lake. It's a mountain lake, very far away from the noise and the glare of the cities, so you can see the stars. Hell, you can see them so clearly you suddenly get why people thought our fates were written in them. Now turn them off. All of them. No stars in the sky tonight. They are so cool in the dark is so dark that they feel alive around you. Your senses are sharper. You feel fuller. You feel more than you normally are. Have you got it? At the lake? Good. Now picture standing on a bridge over it. No, wait. Um, it's not a bridge. It's a... It's a train trestle. Actually, hasn't been used in years, which is 
what makes it okay. Well, maybe okay. Hopefully okay. That you're standing right dead in the center of it looking out over the water. And then high above you, all around you, a voice. And that's right, because of course, you didn't come here alone. Who are you with? Friend? And it's complicated? Uh, they're okay, but mostly I feel peer pressure to be here. I'm not going to tell you who you're with. That's between you and the trestle in the sky. Now, imagine this person, whomever they may be, saying, let's jump. Off the trestle, they mean, and into the dark. How willing would you be, right then and there, to take off your clothes and jump into the water? How drunk would you need to be? How infatuated? How desperate to skinny dip with whoever you're with? What is the point to this? Point is, if you were sober, or a little tired, or, or the night was particularly cold, you probably wouldn't jump. Probably would seem like the last thing you'd want to do. Life is just one big train trestle mountain lake leap into oblivion. Also, hopefully, water. Isn't that comforting, children? But let me reiterate. What is the point? Is the secret to magic being a horny teenager with poor impulse control? Yes, absolutely. But, just in case you're not quite following me yet, let me explain it a different way. Put your thinking caps on again, my little ducklings. Imagine that you are utterly lost in a clown museum. Oh, you heard me right. It's a clown museum. Why you came here is your own business. I cannot account for your poor choices. But what matters is you're here. And you're regretting it. I mean, seemed harmless at first. One of those side of the highway, world's largest tiger made out of jelly beans kind of attractions. But now that you're here, it's a lot, and there's no windows, oddly, and there aren't any clocks that don't look like a rainbow gone wrong, so you're a little disoriented, and you only know that apparently when they send in the clowns, this is where they send them. <laughs> you start down one corridor of funny mirrors, and somehow find yourself in a room full of giant shoes. I mean, you want to get out of here more than anything you've ever wanted. It feels like the walls are closing in around you. Oh, hold on, maybe they are actually closing in. You try to make a break for it, but oh boy, you weren't ready for the room with all the pogo sticks. And by the time you get past them, you're so worn down from stress and keyed up on adrenaline that the polka dots you're seeing could really be coming from anywhere. And in a way, the fact that it's clowns everywhere, it's clowns all the way down is freeing. And when you take that leap of faith over all the banana peels and suddenly find yourself in the parking lot, you feel relief, of course, but you also feel a little bit invincible. I mean, it's the rush that comes from knowing no other experience in your life will be quite like the one you just had. 
Now, before you hurt yourselves, because I can just hear the gears in your head turning. Who are the clowns in this weirdly specific analogy? Are the, are the clowns the call? Are, are they magic? Of course not. Don't be silly. I'll give you one more. This one's a lot simpler. Picture a young boy. And, as sometimes happens when a young boy looks funny to a group of other young boys, they've locked him into an equipment shed attached to the school gym. Now, because we live in an age of great privilege, this might well be the most traumatic event in many a young person's formative years. But then a real emergency shows up. What happens when you think you're about to die? What happens when you're convinced you're about to die in a fire? What happens at the instant that you're sure? Incredulous and sad and terrified. But sure that no one is going to save you. Even if it was only a fire drill in the end. Even if the door opened in, not out, as the teacher who came and found the little boy explained a few minutes later. Because of course they noticed he was missing. As laughably insignificant as we are in the universe, trust me, we are never as insignificant as other people can make us feel. But still, it's interesting what happens when might becomes will. When one day becomes today, becomes now. Your perspective shifts. Your heart beats in a different way. Your lungs take in oxygen differently. Your muscles tense in ways you never knew they could. But it's not just your body. Your mind's eye brings something to the table as well. You look closely, really closely, at the world. Because in that moment, you take yourself out of the world. And when you take yourself out of the world, that's when you see it. You see the world as it truly is. With eyes unbridled from the self. You're going to hear that phrase a lot here. Eyes unbridled from the self. Every professor at the school is going to, sooner or later, look you straight in the eye and say, you have to see the world with eyes unbridled from the self. <laughs> it's all well and good, I suppose. But for my money... Questions are more useful than dictums. And the question you should be asking yourself is this. Are you watching closely? The call is a lot of things, 
space cadets. But less important than what it is, is how it acts. And how it acts is like an ego for the entire friggin' world. It makes you center your experiences, your expectations, your mites and somedays and no I shouldn't. And it places them over what is real. And centering yourself makes sense. It's useful. It keeps you from jumping off bridges or getting killed by clowns. It gives you the wherewithal to unlatch a shed door. It helps our minds fill in the bits of the world that we just know are there. So they can have the space to focus on the important things. But important to whom? That's the question. Important to whom? That drastic shift in perspective. That moment of crisis. It gets us to realize we haven't been looking at the world closely. I mean, we haven't seen it at all. We've been too comfortable, too sure about what we're going to see. That's what the call does. It's all it does, that's it. As a very wise man once said, it keeps you in the default setting. Now, don't worry, my precious kittens. I'm not here to shame you. Ego much like greed, is good. It's important to want things and to make plans and to see the world with you in it. But if you give your ego too long of a leash, you lose the thread and you stop seeing what's really there. Lesson the third. You want to do magic? Then get very comfortable with... Uh, I, I never know what to call it. It's the sense of, of grace, I suppose, that comes to you when you stop imposing meaning onto what you see. When you don't just realize, you actualize the truth. The world does not revolve around you. It's not going to come looking for you. You need to look at it. And now... With that out of the way, let's talk about how to make the world revolve around you. <laughs> because, I mean, it's all well and good to be able to see the world as it really is, but to be able to change the world, that's why you're here, isn't it? The basic theory is pretty simple. Once you truly see something, you can understand it as it really is. And once we've mm, fitted you with the right prescription to see the universe... Well, then maybe you can give it a nudge, assuming that you're convincing enough. Take this cup of tea, which has gone disappointingly cold in the time it's taken me to tell you to be more attentive, less self-centered. But what if I want a hot cup of tea? Well, first things first, I need to understand what a hot cup of tea is. Water right? But also leaves. And because I'm not a heathen, a splash of milk. But that's just the surface. It's the default setting. The devil is in the details. Because tea is all of those things, and also none of them. 
its bonds breaking, and matter changing states from liquid into gas, spurred on by the application of heat to water. So what is tea? How do you understand tea? Not its composition, not its history, not even its chemistry, but its nature. What makes something water and leaves and milk and fire and air and also none of those, but something else entirely? Is it a state of matter? A state of being? Yes, but it's more. It's something all of these component parts do when they're together. It's a little party they have because they enjoy each other's company so much. As much as anything, it's a state of mind. (laughs) It's not a thing. It doesn't exist on its own. It's an event. It's an ongoing experience that bubbles and broils and changes. It's never constant. It is always cooling or warming or animating or innovating or turning into sweaty weed water because you let it sit too long. You should never be late to tea time. Oh, much warmer, much better. (laughs) Oh, man, did you see that? No magic words, no wand waving, no incantations. All of those things can help. I mean, they have their uses. But first, you have to win the war of understanding. You think, you know, and therefore, you get to have hot, delicious tea. Ugh. But that's not good enough for you, is it, kids? You want to know what I actually did to heat the water? Well, uh, technically speaking, on an elemental level of pure will and energy, I suppose you could say I mm, asked really, really nicely. I knocked on the tea's door and asked if it could turn the volume on its music up. (laughs) Everybody thinks of magic as an art of trickery and misdirection and sleight of hand and... That's accurate. That is correct. We're nothing but liars and cheats here. But all of those things, they're just ways of forcing a new perspective on another person. Magic is forcing your perspective on the world. And that's why we call it persuasion, with a big P. We are convincing the universe to go along with us, to act like cold is hot and solid is light and void is full. At least for a moment. But if you don't have your facts straight, you can't persuade anybody of anything. If you don't start from a place of truth, how can you ever tell a convincing lie? And that's why I'm standing up here. Because I'm supposed to teach you how to do that. Except, and here's the nasty little secret. I can't. I'm not joking, people. I really can't teach that to you. What I can do is tell you one more story. Who here has ever been to Waffle House? (laughs) Good. Excellent. You lot are light years ahead of the rest. The secret to magic is Waffle House. Write that down. Now, imagine a couple. They've been dating for a few years, gotten past the honeymoon phase, and one night, some lazy Thursday they're spending at home. Apropos of nothing, they start talking about Waffle House. One of them tells the other they once had a fantastic 
plastic catfish sandwich at Waffle House. The other says, they can't have. You can't get fish at Waffle House. They only serve breakfast food. Cut to one hour later. Our couple is having a fight. I mean, a big knockdown, drag out fight over the validity of certain menu items at Waffle House. And then over the validity of Waffle House as a concept. And then over a few things that are really just their private business. But aware of how worked up they've gotten, our pair decides to take the only logical next step. They drive to the nearest Waffle House. When they get there, they march right up to the cook. He hears them out and he explains, Waffle House doesn't have any fish on its menu. It only serves breakfast food. But, well, he's a friendly guy. And they're the only people in the place. And they seem so gosh darn invested. So he does the unthinkable. He offers to go out and get some catfish and grill them up a sandwich if that's what they want. Voila! Magic! <laughs> Uh, remember what I said earlier about the difference between a right answer and a correct one? Well, you tell me, kids. Who would you rather be in that story? The person who was right? Or the person who was correct? See, I can tell you that you can order catfish at Waffle House. But you are the ones who have to overcome all your reservations about doing it. You have to silence the voice in the back of your head telling you that you already know the answer and you're going to look like the world's biggest idiot for even asking. Then, you need to find the nearest Waffle House and you need to march in there and be charming enough that they'll cook you whatever the hell you want. I can hopefully get you to the place where this very odd concept makes sense. But there needs to be a moment where you see past what I'm saying and get to what's behind it. To the idea itself. If you can see the idea, if you can make it your own, then believe me, you can work wonders with it. Which is why I can't just give you the answer. You need to meet me halfway. That's why when we talk, I tell you stories that go from A to B to Z to 13 to A again. I don't do this for my own amusement. Or, well, not just for my own amusement. <laughs> I do this because the longer I'm out on the road, the more chances we have of actually bumping into one another. I told you back at the start of today that I would ask you a question at the end of class, and if I'd done this right... You'd already know the answer. Are you ready? Are you watching closely? Picture a mountain lake. The one you saw before. In fact, you've never left that lake. Or that train trestle. Or that night sky. Part of you has been here the whole time. Above you, below you, all around you, it's void. 
but you can hear voices. Are you going to jump? Alright, that's it for today. Congratulations. You survived. I will see you all back here on Wednesday, 10 a.m. sharp. Do not give me a reason to show you what happens when I stop being so friendly. And welcome to the Academy. We're proud to have you with us. We'll have you doing magic in no time. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written by Sarah Shackett and directed by Gabrielle Urbina, with script editing by David K. Barnes. It starred Julian Silver in the role of Anthony Grierson. Original music by Alan Rohde and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tangway. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. You're still listening. Amazing. Hey there, Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask. First, if you love the show, we would love to know. Please take a moment while it's still fresh to rate and review the show wherever you listen, in particular Apple Podcasts. Second, we decided to make this series to bring a little magic into a world that we felt could really use some. Please share this episode with someone or someones who's bringing magic to your life these days. You can tell them there's a message for them at the end of this episode. On behalf of whoever brought you here, thank you for being a light in this world. You brighten my life. While we're here, I also wanted to shout out all 1,162 of our Kickstarter backers who made this show possible. You know who you are. If you weren't a backer but would like to support the show retroactively, please visit unseen.show support. 
If you ever want to say hi, we're on Twitter at unseen.show. That's all for now. We'll be back next week with episode three, The Secret Ingredient.